Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. It should be found on page 1077 in your pew Bibles. This is uh, one of those passages we tend to read um, in December. Get there a little early this year. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word that you've given to us. And we ask that you would help us this morning to hear your word, but to be those who don't just hear it, but who hear it and put it into practice, being ready uh, to live it today and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of, count, <clears throat> excuse me, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Turning into Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 33. We have been, again, looking at the second half of the book of Ephesians where the way that we live should be completely different because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, the people that he has made us to be. And so, starting in chapter 5, verse 15, it says, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
We are looking this morning at John chapter 7, verses 14 through 31. And uh, this is a passage that has uh, confused me for years. I'll get into some of that confusion here in a bit. Um, But before I tell you what is going on in this particular passage, I have a book recommendation, which I don't normally do this. But I uh, read, actually listened to a book uh, a couple months ago uh, called The Sun Does Shine by Anthony Ray Hinton. Has anybody heard of this one? Anybody read it? They know what this one's about. Has anybody heard of the book Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson? You heard that one either? Oh, this is your lucky day. Uh, I've not read uh, the one by Brian Stevenson, but it's apparently they're, they're telling the same story. Uh, and it's a story of a man who was uh, wrongfully convicted of murder and spent 30 years on death row. And only after uh, having spent that time on death row uh, did, and so that was Anthony Ray Hinton who was convicted of murder. And then it was only after that that Brian Stevenson, uh, as the lawyer, is involved and uh, through evidence that uh, they were able to actually overturn that conviction and he's set free. And that was the thing he said as he comes out of prison after having been there for so, so long as the sun does shine. Anyways, that's the name of the book. Uh, the Sun Does Shine is actually his autobiography and he tells the story of him and what it's like to go through that experience. And he details kind of the, the highs and lows of that emotionally. And let me tell you, there aren't many highs. <laughs> emotionally of going through an experience like that. But the, uh, the issue at hand in his story, and the reason I bring it up today, is uh, all the evidence from even before his trial, all the evidence pointed to he's not the guy. He's not the guy who did this. All the evidence pointed that way. And so then the question is, well, if all the evidence really pointed that way, why in the world would he end up in prison, and why would he end up on death row, and why would he end up on death row and stay there over and over and over? And the reason was, and what it really came down to, is because this happened in Alabama, and he was a black man, and no one wanted to look at the evidence, because they'd already seen his skin, and that was enough. The reason I bring this up is because you read a story like that, and it is just, it is galling. You just, that, that can't happen. Surely that doesn't happen. That this, um, that this kind of thing would blind somebody to justice. That they would not be able to see the evidence itself because they'd already made up their mind before the evidence was presented. And yet, unfortunately, that's what we do all the time. Maybe not in that particular kind of a situation. But that's what we do with each other. We make these snap judgments, and then to get past that, it's really hard. If we are not intentionally trying to look past initial impressions, the initial impression becomes what we believe to be the truth. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) This is what we live every day. In fact, we know this so well 
that they had a whole marketing campaign on this. I can't remember when it was, 80s, 90s. I just remember growing up and seeing Andre Agassi, the famous tennis player, doing the uh, camera commercials. Remember this? And the tagline was, image is everything. Remember that? Image is everything. And I don't know if that was the kind of thing that was responding to what was already going on culturally or if what's going on culturally is kind of just picking that up and running with it, but that's where we are. And you look at the way in which we use social media today. And it's very much the same sort of thing that we've been doing sort of interpersonally for thousands of years where you try to uh, present yourself in a way that, uh, you know, maybe is the version of yourself you want people to see. But it's really hard to do that in relationship with people all the time. But you know what? Online, I get to pick exactly what they see and don't see. And I can present myself this way because I believe that image is everything of the year. And they've done studies that show, of course, that people who are on social media tend to have more depression overall. Uh, and I, I know that some of that is attributed to um, that comparison and the problem with that, because you're comparing yourself to these idealized versions of all your friends and family members, <laughs> whose lives don't really look like that. But I also wonder if there's not a sense in which it is, uh, it's caused by your own disjunction between what you put out there on Facebook or wherever and what you know you're really living and how you can't even live up to that standard of who it is that you want to be and who it is that you want people to see. And it is also that disjunction just furthers the, uh, furthers the narrative that image is everything, as though that's what we believe. And yet, what we see with Jesus is that is not the case. And so we just read in Isaiah where it says he's not going to judge by what he sees with his eyes or what he hears with his ears. It's not those first impressions. It's not that snap judgment. But how is he going to judge? With justice and with righteousness. He's going to get to the heart of the matter and what's really going on, no matter what everybody else thinks is going on. And if you'll skip forward in your Bible from where we are this morning, you'll see uh, this playing out in chapter 8 with the woman uh, caught in adultery. Now, everybody else sees the situation one way, but Jesus gets to the heart of it, right? We saw this in John chapter 4 uh, when Jesus is talking to the woman, uh, at the Samaritan woman at the well. The disciples are like, why is she talking to him? What's, this going, what's going on here? They see it all one way, but Jesus has gotten to the heart of it. That's where he goes. We see this in the conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus doesn't even want to be seen with Jesus, so he comes to Jesus at night because you, you can't have the optics of this. They're all bad. I can't be seen talking to this guy. And Jesus talks with him, and he gets right to the heart of everything. This is what we see with Jesus prophesied in Isaiah as the one who's not going to judge by what he sees or what he hears, but he's getting the heart of it with justice, with righteousness. That's where he's going. Anyway, all of that is to set up what we're looking at this morning with Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles, which um, actually just happened this year uh, for us. Um, but this is the festival. It's one of the three times that people would come to Jerusalem. In ancient Israel, you'd come to Jerusalem. If at all you were able to come, you came to Jerusalem for this one. And uh, this is one where Jesus' brothers were getting ready to come from Galilee down to Jerusalem for this particular festival. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going there yet. So they, 
They go on down without him, and then he goes later. And we talked about how he didn't want to go uh, with everybody else. Everybody kind of traveled together. He's not doing that because it's not yet his time to die. And if he goes down at this point, uh, there's still enough of kind of this, uh, I don't know, groundswell of support or whatever that uh, we said when he does go down that way, which he will do uh, at a future date on we now know is Palm Sunday, is everybody welcomes him in as king, and then that is one of the things that contributes to him dying later that week. So he says at this point, that's, that's not the time for that now. And so he goes down uh, separately, and yet it's the entrance is the part that needs to say secret. Because what we're going to look at now is halfway through the festival, he's going to get up, and he's going to go to the temple, and he's going to start teaching people in the temple. And as he does so, well, let's hear what happens. This is uh, John chapter 7, starting in verse 14. It says, Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent me, who sent him, is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You're demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, although actually, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, You circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Still, Many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? All right, I told you earlier that this passage has confused me for a long time. And the reason why it's confused me is because of the way in which the crowds respond to Jesus throughout this interaction. And it seems, it's like I'm just, it doesn't make any sense. On the one hand, they're saying, nobody's trying to kill you. And then a little bit later, they're like, Isn't this the people everybody's trying to kill? Well, which is it? (laughs) Make up your minds. But I finally, uh, I found something helpful about this. And I think this really, I heard from somebody else, but I think this really is what's going on and makes sense of this whole thing, which is that this, in this section right here, Jesus uh, is revealing himself in a way that when people start listening to him, they're not sure who it is that they're listening to. But it is 
progressively dawning on them the longer they listen to him. And I think if, if you read it that way, the things they say totally make sense and the way that he interacts with them. And so uh, that he would be just some guy who gets up in the temple. He's not there, you know, being followed by a crowd of disciples. He's not there, you know, dressed as a rabbi. He's just some guy who just gets up and starts talking. And people are like, what is this about? And they start listening and they're like, wow, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. And so they say, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? He doesn't look like a rabbi. He's not one that looks like he's gone through all the usual training. He's just some guy. And then, uh, you know, Jesus explains, <laughs> my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Well, who's that? Well, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether I am from God or whether I speak on my own. That's who sent him. This is where this comes from. And then he asks them, why are you trying to kill me? And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Paraphrase, like, that's just crazy talk. You must be demon-possessed or something. Nobody here is trying to kill you. We don't even know who you are. You're just some guy. He's trying to kill you. And then he continues, I did one miracle and you're all amazed. Wait a second. This guy did a miracle? Now there's a guy who's been going around. Oh, is this that guy who's been doing the miracles? And what miracle is he talking about? Well, he's been doing miracles up in Galilee, but he also did one in Jerusalem. And if you flip a couple chapters back, that was John chapter 5. And uh, where he heals the man who uh, couldn't get into the water in time. Remember that? He says, do you want to get well? And he heals him. And the big issue there, of course, was that he healed the man, but he healed him on the Sabbath day. And it was for that reason that people were wanting to kill him. And Jesus says, look, uh, you are wanting to kill me. No, nobody wants to kill you. He's like, yeah, I did a miracle. And because the miracle I did was done on the Sabbath day, you think I have done something terribly, terribly wrong. He said, but look at... (laughs) Look at how you operate yourselves. You have this law in the Old Testament that says you've you got to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But you also have this law in the, in, uh, the Old Testament saying uh, that you need to circumcise a baby on, uh, on the eighth day. And so if somebody has a baby and then eight days later it falls on the Sabbath, what do you do? Do you circumcise them or do you not? Which... Which one of these laws are you going to follow? He says, you you go ahead and circumcise them, don't you? You do, and you don't think you're breaking the Sabbath at all. In fact, you see that as a way of upholding the Sabbath and of keeping it holy. And he says, if you can do that, if you can do that and still not see that as breaking the Sabbath, why can I not heal a man, his whole body, make him well on the Sabbath? Of course, that is upholding the Sabbath. I'm not breaking that at all. And that's why he says in verse 24, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. And I think this verse is beautifully placed because it's right at this moment of them figuring out who this is that's even talking to them. He has just looked like, you know, just some guy. And it's dawning on them in this moment that maybe he's not just some guy. Maybe he is that guy who people have been talking about as possibly the Messiah. I mean, he is that guy who has been doing all these miracles that we've heard about from up in Galilee. 
that people have been talking about. There was the widespread whispering that we saw last week, earlier in this chapter, that people come to Jerusalem for this festival, and there's widespread whispering. Everybody's talking about this guy from Galilee who's doing this stuff. Maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the Messiah. And now here they are listening to this guy, and they're like, wait a second. Maybe he's that guy. Right at the moment that he's saying, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. And it's at that point then they start to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? <laughs> like, if that's who he is, if he is this miracle-working guy from up in Galilee who's claiming to be the Messiah, no, but it couldn't be. No, it couldn't be him because that guy is, you know, on the most wanted list. You know, we see his picture in the post office. When we <laughs> this is the guy uh, that they're trying to kill. He wouldn't be able to speak openly like this if they're really trying to kill him, if he really is that guy. But no, we know where this guy is from. He's from, he's from Galilee. We know that. That's what everybody's been saying. All that widespread whispering has been confirming there's this man from you know, Galilee up in Nazareth, and he's doing these things. But when, when the Messiah comes, nobody's going to know where he comes from. Yeah. So do they know where Jesus is from? On the one hand, he's from Nazareth, right? On the other hand, the whole time he's talking about the one who sent him, <laughs> I mean, he's talking about being from heaven, right? And so uh, on the one hand, sure, they know that this is where he grew up. On the other hand, they have no idea where he comes from. And so simultaneously you have... Um, that at play. And then Jesus cries out, yes, you know me. You know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. We see this over and over, that there is a time and there is a place that Jesus is going to the cross but it's not that time. It's not that place. So he goes right on through. And no one seizes him. And yet, we have this double response that we see all the time. Same crowd, same message, same messenger. And just like we were looking at in the children's sermon of Jesus saying at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, those who hear, everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice. Or everyone who hears my word does not put them in practice. Like the wise man, the foolish man. In other words, the same word is going out. They're hearing the same words from the same messenger, but yet the response is very different. And so we just saw Jesus says these things to this crowd, and what this crowd does, well, some of them try to grab him so they can kill him. But, verse 31, still, many in the crowd believed in him. And they said, when the Messiah comes... Will he perform more signs than this man? That's a good question. And here's the point. Just as I began with the story of Anthony Ray Hinton and how people had their minds made up before they looked at the evidence, I said, we don't want to be those kind of people, right? We want to be people who actually judge correctly, as Jesus says. Not just judging by mere appearances, but judging correctly. 
And this is what's going on with this crowd, is there are people who have uh, judged by mere appearances, who have said, if this man is working on the Sabbath day, he must die. End of story. We don't need anything else beyond that. And Jesus says, you're not judging correctly. And they say, if this is the man that everybody else is trying to kill, he must have done something. Let's get him. You're not judging correctly. And yet, there are other people in that same crowd who are judging correctly, who are looking at the evidence that is actually provided and who are saying, you know, yeah, we've been told that the Messiah is going to do these miracles. And, you know, this guy is doing the things that the Messiah is supposed to do. I don't know what else we can be looking for. I don't know, you know, first of all, I'm not sure why anybody's trying to kill him, but second of all, I don't know why we wouldn't follow him. If he really is who I think he is, then yes, we should be following him. And so in the same crowd, we get those who are judging by appearances, and we get those who are judging correctly. As Jesus reveals himself progressively to this whole crowd, and it just furthers the division. And so at the beginning, kind of everybody gathers around, and yeah, let's hear what this guy has to say, and by the end, we've got this division. Some want to kill him, and some who believe in him and are ready to follow him. The same is true for us as we hear the word of God, as we read the word of God, as we study together. We can do this all together, and the, the same responses happen today. Where there is a division between how we hear it as we're judging correctly or not. As we go out and share with others, don't be surprised. These are the responses. Some want nothing to do with Jesus, and some want to give their whole lives to him. Those are both common responses. Always have been. So don't be surprised by that. But also, make sure that in your own life, that you are not judging by mere appearances. Not of other people, especially not of Jesus. You are judging correctly that with true discernment you're seeing beyond the surface to see what's really going on with other people, but also to see what, who Jesus really is. It would be willing to follow him with everything. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.